Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. So we're just going to kind of um, do a quick review, very quick, because I have so many things, so many good things that the Lord has on my heart to say this morning. So we're going to do that quick, but we're going to do something really, really powerful um, that kind of came up after the service last week. So you remember last week we left off at, you don't believe everything you think, right? Every thought you have is not your own. That's part of the spiritual warfare. God is speaking. Those are th- He's other. He's other than you. You're not God. So those are thoughts that are not your own, right? And then we also have a warfare with an enemy. Is that right? And he's always trying to interject thoughts that are contrary to God. Every thought you have is not your own. The spiritual warfare is fought in a place of the soul, right? The seat of the soul. God made you spirit, soul, and body just after the pattern of the, of the temple of Solomon. Don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? And last week we decided we might as well agree with him. When he says, my sheep hear my voice, we might as well agree with him. We've got to start agreeing with him. Who in here hears his voice? We agree, Lord. Okay, we were there. And, and we talked about, and then we really got into um, matters of that spiritual battle, right? The battle of the thought life that wars against you becoming everything he wants you to become, the carrier of his glory, the place of the Holy Spirit in power in you, right? So we talked about all those things, and, uh, you know, Sandra and I, on Sunday afternoons, um, what we like to do, if we can, is we like to sit out on the deck and have, have a, um, like, linger over lunch on the deck after the morning service. And so we're sitting out there, and, you know, we talk about the, the amazing things we saw God do this morning and um, just really enjoy that. And last week we started talking, and, and she started telling me, you know, I have a story in my life. I can remember she tells me when God showed me what you were teaching this morning, like just in literal form, God taught me this. Um, and then she started to tell the story. And it was so, um, we should have just, she could have done the sermon in five minutes if we just had her tell the story. So I asked her, I said, um, would you be willing to just tell that story to start us off next week? So, And I pick on her all the time. You're about to find out I can act like a jerk. So it's her turn. That's part of the story. So you're going to find out. Um, come on up here. <laughs> She's going to tell a story, a story of God. Yes. So I'm going to tell a story. Um, all right. So you all know that God gives Paul words, messages. And so that's how God works with Paul. But with me, he actually gives me life examples. I mean, living it out, here it goes. And so um, last week, right, we're learning about spiritual warfare and how the battle really takes place in the mind and that not every thought is ours. And so here's literally what happened. So it was about six or seven years ago, and I am, um, it's a Monday morning, and I am at the light right out here driving to work. And Jonah's in his car seat, so he's probably two or three. And um, and the window's down on my side, and I'm, at, I'm parked at the light, and literally a thought zings into my head, okay? And here it comes, all right, so get ready. Paul is a jerk. 
there was the thought. Right there it was, just popped right in. I mean, literally, it was like the moment I rolled down the window or something, the thought just popped right in my head. And the thought was, Paul is a jerk. So I'm sitting there with it, right? And I'm very aware that, it, well, first off, I'm, I'm aware that, like, oh, my gosh, um, I'm pretty tempted to keep this thought because it's kind of been a rough weekend. I don't know. I must have felt a little ignored or whatever. And um, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm having the thought, like, okay, what am I going to do with this? And now God has taught me that lies hurt me. Every time I agree with a lie, it will always hurt me. And I am really, I'm at this point, you know, I was probably mid-40s. I am so sick of being an unhealthy, hurt person. I am just sick to death of being an unhealthy, hurt person. And uh, so, but I'm sitting there at this light, right? And this thought is there, Paul is a jerk. And I am so tempted to keep it. But I know that if I keep it, it's going to bring 10 of us lying friends, <laughs> okay? Before the week's end, it's going to bring 10 lying friends. I, don't, I can even imagine. He's, um, he doesn't care. Uh, he's selfish. He's, uh, he only thinks about himself. I mean, lying friends. But I'm sitting there at this light. It must have been a long light because a lot happened in that short amount of time. And so he, um, so then I'm thinking, okay, you know what? Um, I know what thoughts lead to. Thoughts lead to feelings. And so I, I can already imagine what's coming for my week, right? So Monday I'm having thoughts. He's a jerk. Um, I, now I start having feelings. I'm hurt. I feel betrayed. I'm angry. I am, you know. A whole bunch of, I feel abandoned. I mean, a million things, right? So thoughts lead to feelings. Feelings lead to behaviors, actions. And so I have the thought. Okay, I start out Monday morning. Paul's a jerk. By Wednesday, I've got tons of feelings, right? All those feelings. And then Friday, I'm probably filing for divorce. I mean, I am that unhealthy, okay? <laughs> so, and I'm sick of being unhealthy. I'm sick of being, yeah, just always losing this battle. But I'm really tempted to keep this thought. I am so tempted. And I all of a sudden, I have this realization. Oh, my gosh, this is what real temptation is. This is a really tempting thought because it will totally justify all my bad behavior that's coming for the week. It will justify every hurtful thing I say to him. It will justify all my um, irrational, crazy behavior. Um, and I'm very tempted to keep it. But again, I'm sick to death of being an unhealthy person. <laughs> so, I need water. <laughs> so, I'm sitting there, right? And because God has been so faithful to teach me, so faithful, I, um, what I've learned to do is, I t it's literally like a thought bubble, right? So I'm sitting in my car, there's this thought bubble here. Paul is a jerk. And I start thinking about it, you know, and I'm mulling these words literally over and over in my mind, right? Paul is a jerk. But God has taught me to take the thoughts captive, right? So I literally, I've got this thought bubble. I can almost picture it behind bars. And I've learned to ask Jesus, is this true? <laughs> is this true? Because I'm, I, I, lies hurt me. And so I'm asking, God, is this true? Is this true? And I'm mulling these words over, right? Paul is a jerk. Paul, 
and I'm changing the, the way I'm saying it. And I'm a dictionary person, I'm a word girl, so I ultimately land on, okay, if I go to Webster's and I open up and find the word jerk, Paul's picture is not going to be there. <laughs> so I pretty much conclude, okay, that is a lie, that goes in the trash, so that goes in the trash, right? But of course, there was a truth to be had, and, and the truth was, during that weekend, he did kind of act like a jerk, right? So that's a very different thing, right? His behavior, not his identity, it was, it was just, it's, it's, it's completely different. And so that evening when I got home, <laughs> we actually, um, I had some feelings, because I was still feeling upset, but my behavior, right, that thought, Paul acting like a jerk, led to feelings of being upset, led to a different behavior of, I need to sit down and talk to you. We need to talk about what happened over the weekend. And so instead of me throwing um, a fit for the week, be it having an angry outburst like some, some of my women behavior, or giving him the silent treatment for three days, there was a definitely a different outcome. And I just, I just thank God. He really is so faithful to give us life examples where he really wants us to win the battle. I mean, I, I'm sick of my days being stolen from me. My, my marriage, my, I'm just sick to death of being unhealthy, and I want to win. I want to, I want to stand with them in truth. So there's my story. Thank you. <laughs> I'm certain I was a jerk. <laughs> oh, and I'm so glad she didn't file for divorce. It's been good, huh? <laughs> okay, and actually, I, I want to just pray for a minute. Lord, we ask for your presence to take over the words that are about to be spoken, that you'd plant seeds in our heart, that we would become victors, that you would make us warriors that carry your glory and further your kingdom, that we get to share in the joy of that because you're about to expose the enemy and you're about to make us warriors for you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so just to get us rolling here, you know what is so remarkable about God's story, about this whole book? You understand, so we're, we're in a series on warfare, right? And you understand that God could just say the warfare is over. He could just, he could just, just speak a word, just have a thought, and the enemy would be done. Is that right? But see, God's plan, this is God's plan is to conquer that enemy through you. That's how highly he thinks of you. That's how much he loves you. It's his plan to win by the Holy Spirit through you. You see, the remarkable thing about this entire story is that it's God's plan to, um, to accomplish despite all odds, through the dominion of man. That's his plan, okay? When God gave Adam and Eve dominion in the garden, he said, I give man dominion, and he meant what he said. You see, that's what's crazy. He actually gave man dominion in the earth, and he never took it away. The remarkable thing is that the Spirit of God is going to accomplish God's plan through your dominion because He likes it that way. Because He love, actually, because He loves you and He wants you to have that participation. Amen? Your life is about accomplishing. You see what we do? We pray, Lord, just let your will be done here. 
And God says, I'm so glad you finally agree with me. I'm going to make you into someone that's going to accomplish my will there. (laughs) Go on and do it. I authorize you to do my will. That's how it works. You know that, right? That's the warfare. That is um, the context of warfare that we battle in in this age, in this season of life. Okay, now look, go with me to Ephesians 6.10, and I'm just going to do one more thing to set up context, okay? And forgive me, I'm going to move really quick because there's so much gold that God wants me to tell you this morning that I'm just going to do this quick. Ephesians 6, you know, it's a classic warfare chapter, okay? And next week, I just want to tell you, next week Tom is going to be preaching on the armor, so I'm going to quit reading. I'm going to quit reading after a few verses because I know that's going to be amazing. And this really just sets the stage for what you're going to hear next week. Okay. And here in verse 10, it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Did you hear those words? That's command word. Be. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know that his plans for you is to be filled with the Spirit to such measure that you're actually in the power of his might. Tell somebody I'm supposed to be in the power of his might. Okay, that's God's plan over you. You might as well agree with him, right? Okay, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Talked about that last week. He actually has strategies, right? They're not better than God's strategy. But here's why we're reading this. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. All right, our warfare is not carnal. We've been talking about that. But what? Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Okay? That's, that's our context. So here's what I want to tell you. I'm just, just for a few moments, I'm, gonna, I'm going to um, make the context real. Okay? What did we just read? Principalities, powers, rulers of this dark age. I want to look at this one by one, okay? Because that does actually appear several places in the scriptures. In other words, you realize that God could have had that pass, He could have decided to write that passage so that it just says, You are against spirits, right? But it doesn't. Several times in scriptures, it lays out, in other words, He wants you to know who you are against. Not to get overly focused. I promised you I'm going to say this every week. We are not going to overly focus on the enemy. Or you'll get a big enemy and a little God. We're not going to do that, right? Okay, but I want to show you this. So principalities. What are principalities? If you look literally uh, at the root word in the, in the language for principality, it's, um, it's archaic. Okay, the same root for like archaeology or in other words, in it means the beginning or the origin of things. Are you following? So principalities, listen, one rank or one, you know, all armies are divided into ranks or into um, units that have missions, right? You'll never hear, at least not an effective army, you'll never hear of an army that doesn't have strategy where it's operated through units that have missions. 
Well, that's true here. In other words, what is this? I want you to see this. Principalities war against origins, the beginnings of things. What, what is the origin of all things? God, the Father's heart. The origin begins at love. The scripture makes all clear throughout that the, the entire creation of the universe, that Proverbs talks about it was founded in wisdom. And we're going to see that in a little bit, that wisdom was there with God. And if you know, if you pair that with the first chapter of the Gospel of John, where it says, Jesus is the Word, um, Jesus was with God in the beginning, all things that have been made were made and sustained in Him. Jesus is the origin. Wisdom was there. Jesus was there. In Him, all things were created. And it's created in love. Okay? So I want to give you, just really quickly, I'm going to give you a couple examples. So you understand this. Origins. How can the enemy war against origins? So take the family, for example. Do you know that your immediate family is the nucleus of Jesus' church? It is the seat of power of the Holy Spirit. Your family. Okay? Think how the enemy wars against the origins of family. In our day, it's not hard to stretch. The family gets redefined in about 900 ways in our culture these days. That's principalities, warring against the wisdom of creation, the establishment of the way God things said, this is how it shall be blessed, because I created the universe in wisdom, and wisdom makes it work this way. Does that make sense? You can think of... Um, you know, Lauren Cunningham of YWAM, he often talks about the spheres of influence. Anyone heard anything or read anything from him on this? Yeah, lots of you. Good. He talks about family, religion and church, education, government, media, celebration, which is like arts, entertainment, sports, economics, which includes business, technology, things like that. Spheres of influence. Remember, God gave man dominion. It's his intention that you are the place of the spirit to win the war in these spheres of influence. So I'll give you another one. You can talk to a perfectly reasonable, perfectly sane, highly intelligent doctor, for example, and you can have all kinds of converse, medical conversations and, and they will be able to tell you the, the truth across the board. They'll be able to tell you in things that you can't even fathom because they're the doctor, right? And yet, somehow, that same completely sane, intelligent doctor can come up with the idea that, that a fetus is not human. There's only one way that happens. That's principalities, warring against origins, against things that are established by the wisdom of God. And I could give you 10 other examples, but... Um, I'm going to stop there so we move on. But do you see that principalities war against origins, the beginning of things? And in your life, on a personal level, what's warred against is the heart of the Father over you. That's the origin. You came from the Father's heart. And if the enemy, if principalities can war against the origin of God's wisdom in making you exactly like he made you on purpose, he made you exactly like that because he loves you, if the enemy can war against that, you lost. It begins at the Father's love. You can think of a million others. 
um, sexual identity, you know, gender confusion. <laughs> Perfectly intelligent people can come to the conclusion that they were born with the wrong stuff. Have another conversation with them two minutes later and they're perfectly intelligent. <laughs> but for just a moment here, principalities are winning in the war. They can, they can establish a mindset that is contrary to the origins of God's plan over our lives. Does that make sense? Okay, for sure I've got to move on now. So the next one talks about warring against powers. Okay, our battles against powers. Literally, that word is exousia. Okay, it's delegated influence or force. Okay, so you can imagine. That goes back to last week's message, so I'm not really going to labor this much, but delegated influence. Okay, that was Sandra's story. There was delegated influence to change the fact that I acted like a jerk into her deciding that, my identity in her life is a jerk. One's true, one's not, right? Delegated influence. You are against that. And then rulers of this dark age. Literally, I, well, I looked that up, and, and ruler in the original language, oddly enough, translates as ruler. <laughs> so in other words, it's just powers. Listen, it's systems that establish, whether it's a system within your own family that is contrary to God, or whether it's a state of Colorado system, or the United States, you know, a, a federal system. There are systems that establish, literally with heads, people who are exalted into places of authority to establish things contrary to God. Okay? That's, that is the atmosphere that we war in. Are we scared? No. And we're going to talk about why. Um, how many of you know what Psalm, Psalm 23 is? Yeah, <laughs> it's probably one of the top 10 most famous passages, right? We're going to look at Psalm 23 this morning. And um, I had the sweetest, most wonderful time talking to the Lord about Psalm 23 this week. And I never really before saw it as a warfare passage, but how many of you know that it's the design of warfare? You guys know, oh good, people know. See, I didn't know, you should have came and told me. <laughs> Help your pastor out. <laughs> Come on. Okay, so we're going to look at that afresh. It is literally the design of warfare, how you're a victor in warfare. David was prophetically speaking about how we overcome the, the wiles or the strategies of the enemy by winning the war in the mind. So much insight here. So just jump right in with me. Go to verse 1, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you, do you see the origin? That's a statement of the Father's heart. The Lord is your shepherd, and so therefore you shall not lack anything. He's making a statement of faith when he says that. Do you think for a minute that David didn't have lies from his circumstances in his life that were screaming at him something besides that? <laughs> I'll guarantee you he had lack, apparent lack of this and that and the other thing. But David makes a declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. 
He's already winning the warfare here. Okay. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. That's a beautiful verse. Remember last week, you know, we talked about um, he, he leads you in and out of the fold. Okay. We, um, we love as Christians to think, well, we're with the Lord now, and so I got my Bible, and my life is really peaceful. I'm going to stay right here in the fold. <laughs> right? <laughs> I have what it says I have. Right? You know, that kind of faith. Okay. <laughs> But he never means for you to stay in the fold. He leads you out. You see, he wants you to participate, and we're going to see that as we move forward. We, we retreat into him. Jesus is our safe place. We abide in him, but we read like, I don't know, two, three, four scriptures last week that say that he leads us in and out. You remember that? Okay. And verse 3 says, he restores my soul. And I'll tell you something. Do you understand that statement alone is a warfare statement? If you were not in a warfare, you wouldn't need the restoration of anything. Is that obvious? Okay, do you know what restore? Um, restore literally kind of translates as return to the starting point. We're back to that origin thing again. Return, he, he brings your soul. And, and we talked about last week, what's the soul? It's the place of your thoughts. It's the place of determining. Do you understand how you think is who you are? Romans 12 talks about the renewal of the mind. Renew your mind so that you can be one who proves the will of God, who makes the will of God happen. And here it says he restores my soul. So what's he doing? He's restoring the pl- your mind. The place of your thought life is being restored to the origin, the only place of wisdom, the only place of love that you can count on, the Father's heart. Amen? That's what that's saying. That's warfare. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Okay, now look at this. That's more profound than it looks at first glance. Righteousness, you understand, righteousness is two parts. It's, it's equity and peace. Okay, literally, um, ascetic, the word righteousness, is being right naturally, morally, and legally. Okay, that's body, soul, and spirit. Being right in body, soul, and spirit. Okay, so they would have known back then that this, this has a justice, an equity side, and it has a prosperity side. You see, they never separated peace from prosperity. When they talked about warfare, peace and prosperity were the same thing. That's winning the war. That's being established in a safe, prosperous kingdom, right? So what this tells us is that righteousness is a journey. It's a restoration journey that he puts us on. Are we doing okay? Okay. Now here we go. Now we're going to start digging in warfare. You all know the next verse. Verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Some things we've got to notice here, okay? Notice that you're walking through, first of all. Do you know that God never, ever intended the trenches of warfare 
to be the staple of your relationship with him or your life in him. Warfare is something that you walk through. Do you all remember from last week we said, why does God allow warfare in your life? Who's got it? To establish you. Who said that? I give somebody a high five. Paul? Of course, it's Elder Paul. To establish you. That's the only reason he allows it. You see, you walk through warfare. You don't hang out in the valley of the shadow of death. It's like Dory from Nemo. What is she? Keep swimming, just keep swimming. This is just keep walking, just keep walking. You're not camping out here. You don't go, you don't find yourself in that place and say, this is a great place to build a Christian condominium. Let's set up a community right here. It's the shadow of death. It's a, it's a place, it's a valley of death. (laughs) You're walking through and you fear no evil. Just next, it's going to tell us why. I know you know why. But what I want to tell you now, I just I want you to see, we can't move on until you really have this. Do you realize um, Jesus set that pattern for us? You know the story. He was baptized. The dove, the Holy Spirit descended on him. The Father spoke words over him. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You remember those are words over you too, right? You're sons of God, right? Immediately. The Spirit of God leads him out into the desert, into the temptations. The devil doesn't lead him out. (laughs) The Spirit comes upon him. The Spirit leads him out. And now he's in the valley of the shadow of death, right? But here's what I want you to see. He doesn't hang out there. He, He completes the task. He just keeps walking. 40 days. He's only there 40 days. And then he comes out. And you know what happens immediately when he leaves that desert? What happens? The kingdom of God breaks out. You see, God puts you through walking through the valley of the shadow of death because he means for the kingdom of God to break out through you in this place, for yourself, for your family, for for people you love, for hurting communities. He wants the kingdom of God to break out. Jesus comes out of the desert. Go with me to Matthew 4 and verse 12. I want you to see this. This is Matthew's account of what happens immediately after Jesus leaves the warfare in the desert. Here it says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, there's a war going on here, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by, the, um, by Isaiah the prophet, saying, now here's the prophecy, okay, listen. This is what Jesus is fulfilling immediately after warfare. It says, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Listen, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, does that sound familiar from David's prophetic words? Light has dawned. Verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, what does that say? Jesus began to preach and say, change your mind because the kingdom of God is breaking out. 
That's what he means for you. So, I mean, if you're in warfare right now or the next time you find yourself in warfare, just say to yourself, um, this is good news. I can walk through this valley of the shadow of death because God's good idea is that when I get to the other side of this valley, the kingdom of God is going to break out through me. Do you believe that? That's what this lays out. I want you to see Luke's account of these same moments. Go to Luke 4 and verse 14. Here it says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. In other words, returned from the warfare. He won the warfare, the the series of temptations, and returns. And it says, And news of him went out 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 through all the surrounding region. Why would news of him go out through the surrounding region? Miracles are happening. The kingdom broke out. (laughs) That makes news go out, right? And it says, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. It goes on and says in verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. In other words, this is the Sabbath just after he comes out of the wilderness, just after he wins his warfare. It stood up to read, and they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now here's what it's written. Just after he wins his warfare, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Who in here is anointed? If you don't have your hand up, raise your hand. (laughs) (laughs) To preach the gospel to the poor. In other words, what? Good news for those in poverty, poverty of spirit, soul, and body. What's the calling on your life? To preach the gospel, to be the solution to people's poverty with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Poverty of spirit, soul, and body. It ends here. Say, it ends where I sit. Because Jesus is in you, and that's the calling on your life. He goes on, um, has sent him to heal the brokenhearted. What's healing the brokenhearted? Brokenhearted is is unhealth in the soul. It's woundedness. It's bondage in the soul from unhealth. And that's, that's healing. So good news for them too. Lots of good news here. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Now there's two types of captivity, and I don't have time to teach it this morning. Make me do it another time. But there's liberty to the captives. And then it says recovery of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed, another type of captivity. We can study that out. But in other words, good news. In other words, what? Luke's account says the same thing. It ends with to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, immediately he returns from warfare and the kingdom breaks out. He walks into the synagogue and he announces, you know what, guys? The kingdom is about to break out because I just won some warfare. How many of you want the kingdom to break out in your life? Okay, then just keep walking, just keep, <laughs> okay? But I want to show you something very powerfully the Lord wants you to have. It's not just, I don't want you to leave with, well, if you're in warfare, you just keep walking. I mean, you do, but I want to, sh- I want to show you how. Do you want the how? How you just keep walking? Okay, it's right here in the psalm. Actually, I got to show you one more thing. Um, you know me. Sorry about that. Um, Romans fourteen seventeen. I have to give you a definition for the kingdom. 
right? If the kingdom is going to break out in your life, you, you should know what you can look for to break out. Here's the definition. It says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. That's just like what we've been studying for weeks. It's not carnal. We don't war in the flesh. It's not flesh and blood, eating and drinking. What is it, though? It is righteousness. That's equity, justice. It is peace. Remember, that's prosperity. I'm not just talking about money. I mean, you know, it it, it involves money, but prosperity of spirit, soul, and body. A, a peacefulness in the prosperity of God, the goodness of his heart over you. That's the kingdom of God. Amen? And it go, and then uh, joy. What's joy? We just read that in what Jesus announced in the synagogue. That's inner healing. That's the healing of the broken soul, the healing of the broken spirit. The coming into integrity is joy. What's the kingdom? Righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the kingdom of God. Okay, now that we got that, we can go back to the psalm. Goes on and says, "Um, why do we not fear? For you're with me. I hope that makes you think of about a hundred places in the scriptures. (laughs) How many times does God say, do not fear, I am with you. Do not fear, I go before you. Okay, if the presence of God is there, you have nothing to fear. If God is with you, then you got everything you need with you. Now it goes to clarify and it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, those are the things that comfort David in these prophetic words. What's the rod? It's discipline, guidance. You know, a shepherd would have a rod and it would be like, he would just, with the sheep, they would just kind of go whack, whack, whack. No, not this way. We're not, we're walking out of the shadow of the valley of death. We're not hanging out here this way, right? Discipline. Keeps you walking through the valley so you emerge at the victory where the kingdom breaks out. And your staff. The staff is sustenance or care from the shepherd. The staff would be hooked and you could pull the sheep in, right? Like if a, she- if a sheep got hurt or needed to be pulled out of a trench or something, the shepherd could pull them up and care for wounds, heal and bind up, and then they could return to the whack, whack, whack. We're getting out of the valley, right? <laughs> Go ahead and whack me, Lord. I don't want to stay in the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> now here it is. Here it is. Are you ready for these words? He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is such a, do y'all know how peculiar this statement is? I want to show you something. I'm going to tell you something. If you listen now, this is life changing. It'll change the way you view reality for the rest of your life. First of all, you prepare a table, okay? When you, you look at the language, it literally means I spread a meal, Okay, what is the meal of the Lord's table? Jesus, it is the kingdom of God. Okay, the meal that he spreads is righteousness, peace, and joy, is the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, his table is his kingdom. When we have the Lord's table, we're having the table of his kingdom. He says, I will not eat this meal again until I eat it with you in the kingdom. What's spread? The dishes on that table are righteousness, peace, and joy. It is the things of the kingdom that are at his table. 
That's the meal he spreads before you. He doesn't spread out um, hard work, spiritual discipline, and I don't know, something else that doesn't make any sense. He spreads out the love of the Father's heart on the table, righteousness, peace, and joy. Before the presence of my enemies. What's going on there? I want you to do something with me, okay? Picture your favorite Thanksgiving that you have in your memory, the Thanksgiving table specifically. You got it? Can you see the table? Okay, now take that table out of that room that it was in, that wonderful dining room or whatever, and transpose it right into the middle of a battlefield. Now, I want you to picture all around the table, I want you to picture like something out of Lord of the Rings or something. As far as the eye can see are the most disgusting spirits and things. They're, they're breathing. You can smell their stinky breath over your shoulder. They're, they're lurking all around this table for miles around. Jesus is sitting at the table and he's going, come on, dine with me. And if you're anything like me, you're kind of circling around the table like this. You're going around the table and you're, you're looking at all this stuff out there and you're like, I don't know if it's a good time we should sit down. Maybe we should set the table in the green pastures, you know, by the still water. <laughs> Remember the water? But he sets it in the presence of the enemies and he's just sitting there relaxed because why? Because the victory's won. It's over. He won. So he's, he's sitting at the table and he's going, come on, sit down with me. And so you go sit down, and now he's like, can you please pass the righteousness? And the, Right? Need a scoop? We need joy down here. And he's heaping your plate. That's how you win the war. And I'm going to tell you why in just a second. It's right here in the psalm. I'm going to tell you why that's how you win the war. That's his battle plan. <laughs> Come sit down at the table of my Father's goodness in the presence of the enemies. In the presence of the enemies. Righteousness, peace, and joy are the kingdom of God. And that's how we win. Okay, do you want to know why he does it in the presence of the enemies like that? Go to Colossians 2 and verse 11. We'll start in. This is so good it's ridiculous. Are you ready for something that's so good it's ridiculous? <laughs> this makes me so happy. You see, when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you're walking straight into the center of your identity. Don't forget who made you. <laughs> in other words, he knows who you are better than you do. He's walking you with warfare. He's walking you straight into the, to the God-designed power for you to be a carrier of his glory and his power in this place to make the will happen. Oh, Lord, would you have your will, you know, uh, let your will happen. And he says, okay, I empower you. Go do the will. That's what he's making you into. Dominion holders. Here in verse 11, it says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. I forgot to tell you, did you know the word circumcision is, is kind of inherently in the word restores? 
That's true. He restores my soul. In other words, another way you could translate is that he circumcises my heart or he circumcises my soul, lays it bare and open to him, restores it to the origin point. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespass and in the, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that's the law, which was contrary to us. Now here's how we're reading this, uh, why we're reading this. Listen now. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So you notice he made a spectacle of evil. You're already seeing it. Okay, right there. And here it is, verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Did you hear it? What did he do with the principalities and powers that you are against? He disarmed them. And what I really want you to notice here is that he made a public spectacle. In his warfare, when he hung on the cross, he made a public spectacle. Now I ask you, what's his plan over your life? He wants you to be a spectacle, (laughs) a carnival show of the Father's good heart. Where you walk, you are, ma- you are causing a scene <laughs> because the kingdom of God is breaking out. That's his plan for your life, that you're so full of the spirit that you're, that, what was it? Be strong in him and, and filled with the power of the spirit. Be that way. Why? Because his plan over your life is that you are a spectacle of the father's goodness. You're a walking carnival show of the goodness of the Father's heart. Where you go, the kingdom of God breaks out in such measure you cause a scene. That's warfare. Why does he set a table in the presence of your enemies? Why does he do it in in the middle of the battlefield? Because it makes a spectacle. Because when you're in the middle of a battle and you're filled with joy, that's a freak show. (laughs) go to Ephesians 3 and verse 8 Here it says, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this is Paul talking, writing a letter to the Ephesians, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles, what? The unsearchable riches of Christ, okay? In other words, the meal that is spread out. That's what he preaches, the unsearchable riches. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of these ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Now here it is, listen. Just in case you're doubting that you're supposed to be a spectacle of God's goodness, here it is. To the intent, in other words, all these things that Paul writes in the, in the book of You Won the Lottery, the book of Ephesians, you got Jesus. What's the intention? He says, to the intent that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church 
to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That's God's plan over you. That's the joy that he wants you to participate in. You are a display of the manifold wisdom of God to these nasty principalities and powers that are all around you. He sets the table in the presence of your enemies because it is specifically his design that you are a life where the glory of God is in such measure that you, when you sit at the table of his goodness, so you catch him, that's how you win the war. <laughs> when you sit at the table of his goodness, in the midst of your enemies, you are displaying the manifold wisdom of God. You are causing a scene when you sit there in righteousness, peace, and joy in the center of the battle and release the Spirit of God so that the will of God is done in this place. That's warfare. That's winning warfare. How do you win the warfare? Sit at the table. (laughs) That's it. Give me five. Sit at the table. That's how you win warfare. When them thoughts come in, when the disgustingness starts to happen, just go sit down at the table. Ask him for a scoop of peace. Can you please pass the joy? <laughs> and you'll be causing a scene. You'll be winning a warfare. You'll be walking your way to the other side of the valley where the kingdom of God breaks out. I'm tired of being in any season of my life where the kingdom of God is not actively breaking out around me. I'm, I'm, I'm so done with just kind of walking through a Christian life. If I don't see the kingdom of God breaking out in magnificent ways, I'm finding myself in prayer going, come on, Lord. What, what it, it's time for the kingdom of God to break out. There's hurt over here. This person's hurting. This person's confused. This person... This is not okay. Now I'm going to show you the best part, and we'll wrap up. Who wants to be a spectacle for God? A freak show of the goodness of the heart of the Father. You understand that where you, where you walk, wherever you go, the people that are around you, they're supposed to see the kingdom of God breaking out. They're supposed to think you are strangely surreal. (laughs) Warfare is not of this world. They're supposed to be seeing things that are alien to them. Healing and freedoms and and the breaking of bondages, spiritual bondages, they're supposed to follow you wherever you go. The people you come in contact with. Okay, so I want you to see the result. Um, We're walking through the valley of the shadow of death here. And it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And continuing in verse 5, it says, You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. This is the result. Now look, if we've got to talk about culture a little bit here. If we don't break this down, you'll, you'll totally miss what's going on here. You understand in their culture, it said, it specifically says, anoint my head. You anoint my head. Now I'm going to tell you, in their culture, they only anointed the head for three reasons. 
And they are the three roles of the Messiah. They are the three roles of Jesus. The head would be anointed for for, um, the role of the king, the role of the prophet, and the role of the priest. David was the first archetype or the first prophetic shadow of a life that is what your life is supposed to be. We are the body of Christ. We carry on the ministry of Jesus, the exact same ministry he instituted, we carry on. It didn't change at all. And this is saying that when you sit at the table, when the table is set in the presence of the enemies and you sit and feast on the kingdom of God, the goodness of the Father's heart, this says that your head is anointed. They anointed the head of kings, priests, and prophets. Okay? We are to carry the authority of God. We are to speak the words of the li- words of life. In other words, we are to speak what's already true in the spirit but is not yet manifest in the physical. God is waiting for you to start speaking what is true in the spirit. The battle that he already won, he is waiting for you to start speaking forth that truth into this physical for people who need it. And the priest, we're all called to the ministry of reconciliation. He is waiting for you to reconcile all things under the name of Jesus, restoring the proper order that he is the king and I as a king under him and am bringing things under the submission of the only name. The ministry of reconciliation is the job of the priest. Okay? Go ahead and say, my head is anointed with oil. You want to increase that anointing over your life? Sit at the table in the presence of your enemies. And then it says, my cup runs over. This is the last point here. You have to understand cup, okay? Um, I think usually we read this, the cup runs over. Well, we know that that's blessing. That's um, if your cup runs over that you're blessed, right? But there's so much more to that. They understood that cup was like, um, okay, your cup is your lot in life. Your cup is um, the things God is calling over you to accomplish, the things he's giving to you to bring under Jesus' name. Your cup is is your your calling, um, the, the path in front of you is your cup. Okay, you might think of Jesus, Jesus's cup. You might remember him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, he prays to his father and he says, Lord, if, if by any way possible, could you, could you remove this cup from me? Because he knows what he's about to go through. And then, and then he says, but not my will, yours, Father. So if you need, to, if you need me to keep the cup, then I'm going to do your will. And he does. That was his cup. And you know you have a cup. You were created, knit, designed for plans that he has in your life. That's your cup. Now picture, here's, it's like the angels that are serving. They're pouring into the cup, and it gets a little awkward. You're sitting at the table, and they're pouring and pouring. It's pouring over. It's starting to run into your lap. And you're looking around going, this is my cup. This is like, you know, I, I've got enough. And the angels are going, no, we're under obedience to the Lord to keep pouring and pouring and pouring, to keep increasing your cup, keep increasing your calling, increasing who you are in Jesus Christ. And they just keep pouring. 
Your head's anointed and your cup runs over. In other words, you're walking through this warfare. You're walking through this valley of death because he wants the kingdom of God to break out. Because he's got a plan for you to be the place where the kingdom of God breaks out. That's winning the war. He ends by saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. How long does he does he mean for the goodness and mercy of that table to be a part of your life? Forever. All the days of my life. How long is your life? It's eternal. Eternal for all who have accepted him, for all who accept the cup. He means for the kingdom of God to break out. Are you tired of, of, of dealing with hard situations, watching people in pain, seeing people confused, seeing people bound up in bondages, and, and feeling like, boy, it seems like we pray and there, nothing comes of it. We can't. So are you tired of that? <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> it's time to start going, you know what? It stops now and it stops right here. There's a warfare. Um, are you all experiencing that the warfare is is rising i mean the temperature on warfare is is just rising do you you know what that means you're going to need to spend more time at the table <laughs> okay if that's how we win by by consuming fully the kingdom of god at the table in the presence of the enemies if that's how we win, we better start spending some time at the table because he's sitting at the table. He's saying, come on, dine with me. I have a plan to make you into a spectacle of my goodness. I'm going to make the kingdom break out in you to such measure that wherever you go, people are going to be blown away by something alien they've never seen before the goodness of the Father, the origin <laughs> is trying to break out and replace every twisting. Remember two weeks ago, all right, I, maybe I need to do one more point. Two weeks ago, we talked about he came to destroy the works of the devil, right? Not just the devil. The devil's already defeated, but he literally wants to undo the works of the devil, the things that have been sown in people's lives, even through the generations. He wants to say it stops now. He wants to undo it and restore it, bring it back to the origin, bring it back to truth. And who does he use to do that? You. He wants to do it in such powerful measure that you're alien and ridiculous in front of people. He wants the goodness of his heart to break out in such measure that it blows people's minds and brings them back to the origin, back to the heart of the Father. That's what we're doing in this church. That's where we're going. It's already begun. The kingdom of God is breaking out. <laughs> Let me pray for you.
Father, I worship you. We worship you. We just thank you that you are the Lord that has already won, that has secured the victory. You are the one that can set a table in the middle of the battlefield and that has no end to the goodness that you have for us. We are so thankful. We just right now, we lift our hands and we receive your righteousness and your peace and your joy. Holy Spirit, anoint our heads. Anoint our heads that we may be kings and priests and prophets, that we would be spectacles of the goodness of your heart, that we would bring the goodness of your kingdom into lives that need you so badly. We put our faith in you, Jesus, that in these our days that you are, you are bringing us to a, to a place where we are going to be spectacles. We ask you to make your kingdom break out in such good measure to such extent that people cannot deny your love and your goodness over them. Lord, we're not satisfied. We're not satisfied with people not seeing you, with eyes not being opened with wounds that are not being healed or bondages that are not being broken. We're not satisfied. We accept your mandate to carry your authority and to bring your glory into situations. And we ask you that you fill us with that spirit, that we walk in the victory that you've already won. Father, make us a people that are manifesting in this place the truth that you have already made true in the spirit. And I pray a protection, Lord, as we continue to go through this series and expose the enemy. Um, I pray, um, I declare, actually, in the name of Jesus, that the enemy shall not touch them. He shall not touch their health or their families or their things or your plans and purposes, your daily appointments that you are setting forth in their days. I bind the enemy over those things, Lord, that you will be free to be the spirit in their life. You will be unhindered and that they will, they will receive that unhindered spirit for the fullness of your glory and every good plan and every good work and every, every bondage you're breaking, every wound that you're healing, every divine appointment that you're setting with another person, every organization that they are reorganizing so that it's not contrary to you anymore. In the name of Jesus, in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.